Hello everyone, welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? This week's title is We Want the Wrong Things. So people believe today that Christianity is being put back into its cage, that it's being snuffed out. But what those folks don't realize is how the release of the old pluralistic religions of the world, like that of Rome in the first century, is actually creating the same conditions that allowed Christianity to take hold and win in the first place. What kind of world do we imagine the 12 apostles woke up to each morning? There wasn't even a single church for them to go to at first. They had nothing but the life and words of Jesus, and even that wasn't written down yet. They didn't have pamphlets to hand out or crosses to give away. They only had faith that Jesus was God and a rudimentary liturgy from the Last Supper, and they built the church from that. They had relationships. They lived among the most hostile of worlds to the idea they were selling. And what they were telling people inverted everything that the Romans and Jews and every other culture held as truth. Yet the message of surrender your life to the crucified Christ, the humble carpenter, and you will find peace, that message took the world by storm. For the apostles, there wasn't even so much as an adoration chapel to find refuge in, unless you count the upper room where they huddled in fear until Pentecost. So those who wish for the death of the Christian faith or the Catholic Church may be in for a rude awakening when the conditions are recreated so that this dynamite can erupt once again. The watered-down, lukewarm, stale versions of Christianity has turned people off as familiarity breeds contempt. On the flip side, the merger of worldly desires with the goals of Christianity has repulsed people, as it should. But the more that we retreat from the ideas that Jesus brought to us as a culture and nation, we will begin to realize what we had and why we had it and what we lost and why it won so many hearts and minds in the first place. Originally, before it was called Christianity, it was called the way, as you can read about in Acts of the Apostles, where they say the way. Now, the way, as it was originally called, was a life of total surrender to Christ as the apostles did and the early followers, to Jesus himself, the risen and glorified God-man. The way, long before the Mandalorian borrowed that noun, it meant abandoning all possessions and goals and desires to be reborn in life through Christ. Now today, as we separate into our homes, hovering over our devices, our phones, and Chromebooks and whatnot, in isolation, even while we're together, we're isolated. The communities that form of real people that form around Christ and his church will once again remind us how and why this victory was achieved and that it didn't require sending down fire from heaven other than the Holy Spirit. That's the freedom that Christ gives. And that's the relationships that he creates. And that's the whole secret. That's the recipe that has been put into storage and is waiting to be reintroduced. And it will be in spectacular fashion once the big empty of this world's pleasures becomes felt across millions and billions of people. As it was in the first century, so shall it be again. 
I've said it more than once on this site, but I'll say it again. We are lost in the morass of modern desires because of a simple fact. We want the wrong things. We want the wrong things. In this age of comfort, we have extreme luxury of being able to assume that we're in charge, that we got this, that we humans don't need a healer or savior. However, anyone who has gotten drunk a thousand times trying to find heaven can tell you, and that includes me, that the next thousand times turns into hell. The same goes for sex or anything else because the initial high wears off and the addiction takes you by the throat. We may not need a cataclysm to find the need for God, but we will have signs along the way, even in days of comfort. One surefire way to remove all doubt of our need for God is when food prices triple or fuel runs out. Then we'll be reminded of what the pre-Christian world was like and what type of people and powers occupied it. And we all hope that doesn't happen, but it's very likely that it will at some point. Our affluence or wealth provides a mask of control over our affairs, when in reality, we are just a few weeks of broken supply chain away from total desperation. Even without something dramatic, we'll find the same conclusion. We control nothing in the end, even the most wealthy. In fact, there are two great tests in life that I've found. One is getting what I want, and the other is not getting what I want. There's success in getting what I want, and there's failure in not getting what I want. And those are the two great tests. And I actually think success or getting what I want is almost the greater test in many ways. For those of us who have lived in the West our entire lives, we don't know what it means to live in a fully godless society, but we should remain under no illusion that our chance to learn isn't coming soon. Even within the last century, Mexico and Russia have had extermination campaigns to kill off every priest in the land, and both have failed. And this has happened before. In fact, it's happened in all of Europe during the early centuries of Christianity. It's happened in Japan. Priests are even getting killed every week in Nigeria right now. There are thousands of pages of martyr stories in the lives of the saints from every corner and country of this world. And it's happening right now in Nicaragua. And it will most certainly happen in America at some point. And rest assured, there is a new Miguel Pro out there right now, already born today in one of the 50 states. There's a St. Lawrence, there's a St. Joan of Arc, somewhere out there those they're already attending faith formation classes or going to work. They are out there praying on their journey toward God. St. Paul went to Athens, the place of sophisticated non-believers, and stood on the Areopagus long ago. But we are reaching a point where it will happen again, where a, a new St. Paul will be able to go into our own cities and do the same thing. Because most people today don't even know the story of Jesus. We are actually traveling backward in time. Few kids today could tell you who Moses or David was or why their names are even known. This whole yo-yo effect nearly has a big bang type of feel to it, like how the universe is said to expand and contract. 
It's like there is a parallel in human history as the expansion of sin ran amok in the story from Adam to Noah and then contracted in the flood and then began to expand again from Babylon through Rome um, and then contracted once Christ's message was rolled into the cosmos from the center point of the ancient world in Jerusalem. The false religions started backpedaling into hiding. But today, and as promised by Jesus, the devil would be set free for a while and sin would seem to rule. So the devil does seem to have been released for his time. And clearly the 20th century in its entirety was part of that allowance. And the 21st. If you don't believe the message of Christ is divinely inspired, then you have to at least consider the fact that the story of Christ is far more compelling to people than that of Zeus or of Wicca or other stories of supernatural explanations. The fact is that Christianity has a far better story even if you don't believe in supernatural things. We have just stopped telling the story because many of the tellers can't separate themselves from the Word of God. The reason the message is diluted is because you have everyone claiming the message and welding their favorite sin onto the message. Whether it be love of money or sexual sin, we are lacking heroes and authentic lives. We don't yet have uh, an American version of St. Benedict or St. Sixtus or St. Anthony of Egypt, but that person will arrive. The false prophets are loud, but they will fade. And even if they continue to make noise and draw followers, the way of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is already known to those who seek to really follow him. People have forgotten that demons exist. And now we are emboldened by a false sense of security as the chaos of the world seems to have disappeared. But we can walk downstairs into the basement of our house because we have electricity and tell ourselves that no monsters exist. And feeling so bold, we have even started seeking out those demons once again, as people are engaging in all sorts of odd behaviors. Um, and I mean, the reason they're doing that is because after all, demons aren't real, right? That's what we tell ourselves. So there's nothing to be afraid of, right? And yet, yet even with all this knowledge, People can still go out into the countryside or in the woods or even a basement when the bulb burns out and they start to wonder, what if demons are real? The boldness shrinks when the lights go out or the engine fails or when the boat starts to take on water. As soon as chaos peeks its head out from the darkness, we're not so sure that those monsters are really gone. And this is the result of people trying to live on reason alone. Stuffing our sense of supernatural into a box and putting it on a shelf does not make it disappear. The ghosts and demons come out of the hiding once the Trinity, once God is forgotten. Since the demons cannot destroy God, the next best thing is to destroy his beloved creation, and that means you and me. The best way to destroy a person is to tell them there's no God. It's also the easiest. We are wired for faith, for God but we are wired for desire as well. The wiring for God urges us via our conscience to seek God as doing the wrong thing leaves us empty. No one wakes up from a one night stand and feels fulfilled, not truly. No one wakes up after binge 
after a binge and feels like that was a good decision. And if they do, they're already long down the path of denying that sin exists at all. And habitual sin acts like blinders on a horse, keeping your soul going in the direction exactly where the devil wants to ride you. And as soon as there is no God, then we can not only do whatever we like, but then we must solve all of our problems by ourselves. Or if we can't solve them, we at least get the problems out of the way. And this can be seen in basic data points, like how non-religious doctors are much more likely to hasten and accelerate death of terminally ill patients or suggest euthanasia. Be careful who you pick for your doctor. The reality of the denial of God and the rejection of the idea of sin rises up like swamp gas in this world. Once the flip of the switch is made where God is not something to be taken seriously, then something must take its place because we still want redemption and need a sense of salvation. We want a healer. And if you don't think you do, examine where all of your free time is spent and you will find your surrogate savior. For many, it's sports, entertainment. For others, it's politics. For the more obvious sinners, it's drugs, alcohol, and sex. But in all cases, the person of Jesus takes a back seat or is just kicked out of the car altogether. For those who remain on a strict diet of enlightenment thinking, they have tapped technology to play the savior. They've turned to science because rejecting spirits and God leaves nowhere else to turn. At least the seekers who summon spirits are trying. They're unboxing that old supernatural feeling. Reason alone, it leaves you as half a human being. And the body and soul must be put back together, as is done to Peter in, uh, in the Gospel of John, um, when all the other options have failed, when atheistic reason leaves you flat and the false religions are outed as nonsense, you will have nowhere else to turn. Consider this exchange between Peter and Jesus, but replace the word Jesus with science or technology or Wicca or astrology. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. That's John 6, uh, verses 67 through 69. Now here's the modern version, because we have different saviors. Science then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Science, to whom shall we go? You have the words of material life. We have come to believe and are convinced that there is no God. Technology is the modern master, but it's an odd one because it's an amorphous blob of knowledge, not wisdom. And it's very specialized, but we just grunt and accept it as the one true God, like the cavemen who knew that the sun God or the big oak tree held all the secrets of the universe. Now, for 99% of us, if tomorrow we were told that electrons were found out to be very tiny acorns, we would take it on faith as a fact because in no way or scenario could most people ever test or prove it otherwise. Now, we have to take it on faith that physicists and chemists would not lie to us like that, but they often do, and science takes bad paths that require a long time to undo plus a massive waste of time and energy as good money follows bad science. 
And if you don't believe me, see the article on the 2006 Alzheimer's research that just came out recently, meaning that was a good 15 years of lies about a paper that led to uh, a lot of mistakes, wasted money, uh, and it was upheld for a long time. Or there's many instances of dry labbing where people are saying experiments worked that didn't. Um, there's the history of other things like phrenology. There's cold fusion in a coffee cup. There's the instance of Piltdown Man in Sussex and many, many other cases where there's lies told by scientists. And unsurprisingly, this should not be a surprise, scientists are as susceptible to the deadly sins as anyone else. Lab coat or not, it doesn't matter. Much of which is prompted by this shiny, tempting ap apple that promises to get their paper published and make them a science god. You can see that in Genesis 3, uh, verse 1, and it plays out in those stories just like any other story. I don't, I don't mean to pick on scientists. They're, they have the same tendencies as anyone. Anyone. Can't you just see how the wheels turn in a brain to tell a lie, to fudge the truth, in order to get a paper published? When the serpent says to Eve, Did God really say you can't eat from the tree? This is how that question plays out. Did God really say you can't alter this image to match your experiment results? I mean, after all, we only sin because we perceive a good thing and want it and decide that skirting the next right action will be acceptable as the perceived good thing we want won't hurt anyone if we just cheat a little bit to get it. We want status and recognition. That is the perceived good thing. In order to get it, how easy it is to be convinced that our ideas and interpretation of the data is correct and that we just need to fit things into our mind's image of the world instead of resting our mind in God's world. Faith is defined as submitting our intellect and will to God, which means that unbelief is the opposite. It is submitting our will and intellect to ourselves. So science has its own falls and corruptions, just like the church, just like anything, anything else. Uh, it advances and retreats and advances again. But sci science can do so much. It's, it's amazing, but it can only do so much. The limitation to science is the fact that it can't get outside of the universe, nor can it tell us why a sunset is beautiful, or why Shakespeare's stories are timeless, or why seeing a baby born can change a person's conception of everything in creation. In fact, this is exactly why so many people like to quote Hamlet when he says to Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There's more to this world than science and technology. In fact, the dullest things in this world is the way we treat nature like it was a cadaver to be dissected instead of lived in. So if you think of Horatio like a Mark Zuckerberg or any agnostic or atheist, Hamlet and Horatio um, have just seen in the, in the play, they've just spoken with the ghost of Hamlet's father. Uh, Horatio is the archetype of the Enlightenment world changer. So from, from E-Notes, this is a, if you've read Hamlet, um, Horatio is a model of rationality, and he's still having a hard time swallowing the whole business of a ghost. Ghosts are not the sort of beings his philosophy easily takes into account. We know that Horatio is, like Hamlet, a student at the University of Wittenberg, 
a notable outpost of Protestant humanism. The philosophy he studies there is probably classical, a compound of ethics, logic, and natural science. The emphasis on everyday phenomena pretty much excludes speculation about talking ghosts. So Horatio is like a modern person, uh, like me, not that long ago, who must rely solely on his reason and rationality because there's no such thing as ghosts. Horatio is one of those poor folks sliced in half by his own volition. He's all body and no soul. Uh, because like our alternate version of Peter, um, or like an anonymous internet user who is an atheist, where else can Horatio go? Peter can say to Jesus, the, the living son of God, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's where you end. And that's where you find Jesus. You have to realize that none of the other things will do it. The purely rational person cannot ask for any spiritual explanation ever. Because even cracking the door to the reality of souls and spirits leads to a flood of what-ifs. To someone trying to live in a world of pure reason, the only thing holding back the chaos monster is, is science and technology. The odd thing about this position is that while you lampoon or mock the religious as superstitious fools who put their fingers in their ears and make noise to drown out the reality of the material world. On the flip side, the rationalist must put his fingers in his ears and make noise to drown out the possibility of ghosts and spirits. Anything beyond the material world must be stuffed in a box, because even if a single ghost story is true, if a single prophecy of the future was proven legit, or if any being's soul is real, or any miracle has ever happened, even a single miracle, then the closed door of reason is suddenly flung wide open. Thus, the savior of technology and science must be clung to, because to what else can the non-believing materialist turn? All spiritual things must be deduced to a chemistry problem. Many people can claim to make their decisions based purely on reason, but like many a Christian who claims to be in a state of grace while receiving the Eucharist, there is a lot of not-so-devout rationalists. But they believe that when push comes to shove, they will side with science, just as even the most lukewarm Christian will declare that their alliance falls on the side of faith in Jesus. But these types of declarations are for grouping and identifying oneself, where the science fan does not wish to align with the ignorant believers, and the half-hearted Christian will side with believers to avoid being called a heathen. Marketing departments make healthy profits, relying much on our instinctual reaction to divide ourselves among these kind of declarations. Selling cars and nail polish is not terribly different from selling a worldview, but the worldview you adopt has a far greater impact on your life and death than does the color of your fingernails on that steering wheel. The promise of freedom through a gadget or technology leads to a kind of reliance and ultimately a kind of slavery. But this servitude cannot easily be seen except by some unfortunate prophets who know of problems to come, yet can do nothing to halt their progress. Also, it should be noted that once Prometheus had stolen fire from the gods, no one ever suggested that he put it back, even if it turned out that we weren't even ready to handle fire properly. The entrepreneurial maxim that if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door holds true whenever we discover something new and shiny, but all these are all distractions from the truth. And all those shiny things will leave you empty. All those experiences will end and require another chase down the next rabbit hole. You can have those things, but not as your ultimate thing. 
if, it, if these things are your ultimate thing, there's always something to keep looking for until you trip over the treasure in the field and find Jesus, the crucified carpenter, and discover that it was him you were looking for all along. And then like St. Augustine, you can say, my heart was restless until it rested in thee. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon on Why Did Peter Sink?